Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Minister, a pastor, and I've been doing this for quite a few years. Um, But knowing who we are, Knowing really our identity spiritually is so important. We come to Resurrection Sunday, to Easter, and often we come in and think, okay, I remember Jesus rose from the dead, but what bearing does that have on my life? I know I should be excited about it, and I know I should enjoy eating some candy and eggs, but what exactly are we celebrating? I know he rose from, what does all this mean to me? In our culture today, there's, there's been a lot of, what they call deconstruction, and people kind of evaluating their faith and even setting aside large parts of their faith and even abandoning it altogether for various reasons. Sometimes it's because they were hurt. Sometimes they had a bad experience in a church, or sometimes they grew up to find that I don't understand how my faith fits into my culture today. I don't understand what's going on. Sometimes there's been a pastor or someone who has disappointed them, so they may be fallen. Or maybe you were a part of a church that really kind of almost replaced Jesus, and you're supposed to kind of worship the church and not really worship Jesus. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about reconstruction. How do I build my faith from scratch, from the start? What is the foundation of being a follower of Jesus. What does that look like? And am I even qualified? And I have to tell you, if you're within the sound of my voice, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Because Jesus came for you. He came to save souls. Not lives, but souls. So today we're going to look at three questions to figure out how do I reconstruct my faith? How do I build it, even if I'm building it, from nothing. The first question is this. That's the wrong question. There we go. That's the right question. You got to get the questions in order. They really don't make any sense. So Um, here's my first question. Do you want your best life now or in the future in life after death? Is your life all about today? And I have to tell you, the younger you are, you're like, man, yeah, it's all about today. Because I'm going to live forever, right? If you're in your, tw- if your teens or 20s, you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to live forever. I don't really care. It, but really, at the core of everybody is the reality that we're not going to live forever. There is a fear of death. There is a question, am I ready if something should happen right now? If I'm ready if I had an accident on my way home? Am I ready if I had a sudden heart attack? Am I ready? We all have to answer that question. Do you want your best life now, or do you want it in the future after death? You see, when we think about Jesus, we have to understand that most of his kingdom is future, right? Most of what he promises is not going to happen on this earth. That's why when people go, you know, well, Jesus promised me I'm going to have health and wealth and all these things. Actually, he didn't on this earth. He says, in the earth, you're going to have tribulation, 
John 16, 33, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He's thinking beyond the struggles we have on this earth. Oh, this earth matters. It's a, it's a place where we get to know Jesus. We get to care for people. We get to help people into the kingdom of heaven. We get to walk together as a church, as a people. Oh, man, but this world is, is not my home, right? Jesus said, my kingdom really is, is future. It began when he came to earth and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to repent and believe in the name of Jesus and the good news of him. And my good news, it just begins now, but it comes to fruition at a future date, after death or when Jesus comes back. So you have to kind of wrestle with that. You have to kind of decide, yes, I'm going to buy into that. You see, Jesus really illustrates this beautifully when he's on the cross. He's on the cross. Luke chapter 23, we see Jesus on the cross. He's been arrested. This perfect, perfect person. He's been accused falsely by his own people. He's been beaten. He's been tried with evidence that really was non-existent and not credible. He's been sentenced. He's been taken to the place of execution. He's been put on a Roman cross to suffer the most painful the worst possible execution possible the one that they did this to take that it would take very very long for you to actually die and beyond the pain is the emotional pain of being the one to bear the price for every sin ever committed have you ever been falsely accused if you ever had someone say you and you had to you had to actually take the blame for somebody for something that you didn't do. That's what Jesus is feeling times infinity. He's bearing that in his body. He's bearing that in his life and he's hanging on the cross. He's hanging between these two criminals and look what they say. Verse 39 of Luke 23 says this. One of the criminals who was who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, one criminal is saying, hey, listen, Jesus, I'm interested in today. I need you to get me off this cross today. I want you, if you really are who you say you are, demonstrate that by doing what I want. It sounds a lot like Satan and the temptations of Christ in Luke chapter 4, where he says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, Jump off this precipice, jump off the pinnacle of the temple and prove it. Sometimes that's how our prayer life can be. Jesus, if you're God, then I need for you to solve this problem for me because I need you to prove this. Show me this. Make it all happen for this life for right now because that's all that matters to me. I'm on the cross and I'm dying. Jesus, it's all about right now, so I need you to solve this for me. If you are the Son of God very present day, not considering what he can do future. 
And in reality, it's disrespectful to Jesus Christ who's hanging there innocently paying for my sin and for yours. Oh, but the other criminal, I love the quote from Robert Tannehill who says, the criminal recognizes that Jesus' death is not a refutation of messianic claims, but a prelude to messianic power. I love that. He says, I get it. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But he's not guilty. And if you could do this for me, Jesus, I, I deserve to die just like this, but you don't. And, and would you do would would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? You see the faith there? He's not acting asking Jesus to save him today. He's asking Jesus to save him after death, to save him from death. What a great picture. What a great picture of the dichotomy between us. We're constantly saying, Jesus, you do this for me on this earth. Jesus said, I want to do this for you future. I came to save souls, not to save your life. So the first question is this. Do you want your best life now, or do you want your best life to be in the future and after death? Because Jesus has an amazing, amazing place. He's preparing for you. John chapter 14 says, I go to prepare a place for you. Wouldn't you like to have a house that Jesus built for you? I mean, that'd be some pretty cool interior design, I'm thinking. I mean, the one who designed all of creation to lay out the color scheme in your house, that would be amazing. So if you're interested in your best life later, if your best future life, the next question we have to answer is this, did Jesus rise from the dead? Now, if you're here today or you're watching this online, you're probably thinking, yeah, that's why we're here, Steve. Well, let's look at the proof that Jesus rose from the dead. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 says this. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? For he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? And the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling, and what had happened. So the Bible says that clearly they showed up to anoint the body, which is what you would do. Usually what they would do is they would bury the body in a cave-like structure that had been chiseled out of, a, out of a mountain. And then they would roll a stone in front of it. And the body would be there until it actually decomposed down to the bones. And they would put the bones in a box. And they would store that. So you were in the tomb for a long, long time. 
So Jesus is in the tomb, and they came to anoint the body, which was a ceremonial ritual. But he wasn't there. He wasn't there. The stone had been moved. The guard was gone. The tomb was empty. You might say, well, Steve, I, I get that, but, you know, how do we know that Jesus really rose from the dead? Well, several factors are in play here. First of all, the stone had been moved and the guard was dealt with. Someone had gotten the guards to let them move the stone or had scared the guards away or had paid the guards off. Somehow the body was gone. Now, if this was a hoax, it would have involved a lot of people to make this happen would have been very hard for those people to keep this lie a secret for the rest of their lives. That's because it wasn't a hoax. You would have had to pay off the guards. You would have had to have created a story. It would have been something they couldn't have kept a secret for so long. I love what Chuck Colson says about keeping secrets. Remember Chuck Colson? He was the Watergate figure who was put in prison as one of Nixon's guys, and he later became a great, great minister to the people in prisons and a great author, great speaker. Chuck Colson said this about whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. He said this, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men of the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. And incidentally, say, well, that's what the Bible, listen, the Bible is more credible than any historic document. There's over 500 manuscripts that agree. It's more reliable than Homer's Odyssey or any other, any other writing of the time. But there's another reason why we need to believe that the tomb was empty. If this were a hoax, you would never, and ladies, don't be offended, you would never have women be the first one to see it empty. You say, well, why not? We tell the story. We tell the truth. You do. But in those days, women were not credible witnesses. So if you had a trial, if you had uh, some kind of a thing you needed someone to be a witness, you wouldn't have a woman. She might be able to tell a story, but she'd have to be backed up. So you, wouldn't, you would always have, if you were going to have a hoax, you would have had men, well-known men in the area, be the first ones to see that the tomb was empty. You see, it wasn't a hoax. Jesus did rise from the dead. And some people would say, well, you know what? I think maybe he was just a ghost, right? Maybe he rose from the dead, but it really, maybe they just, they just dreamed it. They saw it. It was some kind of an apparition, and we don't really know. But I love how Jesus appears to his disciples, though, in Luke chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus shows up after he had been on the road to Emmaus and he had told people about his coming, and here he is in Jerusalem with his disciples. In verse 36, he says, this is what the Bible says. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit, thought they saw a ghost, thought it wasn't real. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do you... Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? That is, I myself touch me and see, I'm a, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He's saying, listen, come and touch me, feel me. You know, I'm real. I'm not just a spirit. I actually have flesh and bone, and you can touch and you can feel me. And a ghost doesn't have that, does it? Jesus arose bodily. And then kind of as a clincher, I love how he says this. He says, and while they still disbelieved, but for joy they were marveling, he said to them, have you got a fish sandwich? Some Chick-fil-A, maybe? Because I'm really hungry. There's no food in that grave. Didn't find any. You know, there was no, everything was closed. It was Easter. Um, that, that's not actually in the text. But he says, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it. And he ate before them. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Ghosts don't eat, do they? See, Jesus is demonstrating, I am risen. My body is alive. See, the second question is, did Jesus arise from the dead? From the evidence, it seems like he did. Well, if Jesus rose from the dead, I've got to wrestle with that. What does that mean to me, and how can I benefit from the reality that Jesus rose from the dead? How do I do this? Which brings us to our final question, which is this. Are you willing to admit that you need to be forgiven? Are you willing to admit that you need to be forgiven? Verse 45, Jesus, the, the passage says this, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that, get this, repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You see, repentance is the key that unlocks your resurrection. Repentance really doesn't matter to you if you don't feel the need. I mean, resurrection doesn't really matter to you if you don't feel the need to repent. You say, Steve, I knew you are going to get to that. You're going to play the heavy hand. You're going to point out all the sins that I've committed over the, my whole life. And you're going to, listen, here's what I want to tell you. Never underestimate the human resistance to repentance. We hate it. It's what keeps people out of heaven. Repentance says, I'm wrong. It says, I'm not, I'm not good. I need you, Jesus. I need the price that you paid on the cross to count for my sin. I need your forgiveness. I love 1 John 1, 9. We use it a lot here. It says, but if we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the thing. If I can repent of my sin, Jesus promises to forgive me. But if I refuse, his resurrection is of no help to me whatsoever. If I refuse, I am rejecting Jesus Christ. 
say, well, Steve, a long time ago, I did that. I did repent of my sin, and I I think that covers everything, right? And then I just go on and live as however I want to live, right? Isn't that all that counts? I just need to repent that one time, and, and now I'm just, no, that's really not it at all. See, to be a follower of Jesus, to benefit from his resurrection, it means I live a life that is really taking on the posture of repentance, meaning I'm consistently going before the Lord and saying, you know, Lord, I I've sinned this week. I've sinned today. God, would you forgive me of my thought life? Or would you forgive me of my actions? Would you forgive? God, I just need your forgiveness. I need to live in that. That's why it's in the model prayer, isn't it? God, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. And some people say, well, I I don't know if I should really repent because I'm not sure that I can maintain it. Or I don't know if I should really repent because... I kind of like my sin. You see, if I'm a repentant person, I'm saying, Jesus, there is no sin that is more valuable than resurrection. Because sometimes people will say, get an argument. Well, I don't know if this is this sin, is that sin? What about this sin? And let's talk about different types of sin. And we can do that, and it is helpful. But it's really best to say, Jesus, whatever you convict me of, I'm going to repent of. Because there's no sin that's more valuable than resurrection. And if you're worried, I don't know if I can maintain, I think I'm going to mess up again. You probably will, but that's why the Lord's Prayer ends with, right? And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. God, keep me off the road that takes me down the same path to the same sin. Do you need forgiveness? Do you need that? See, don't ever let anyone, no matter who's hurt you, who's disappointed you, who's confused you, who's pulled you away from God, who you're mad, don't let anybody, don't any, let anybody rob you of your repentance because that unlocks your resurrection. What about you today? Are you benefiting from the resurrection of Jesus? Are you standing before him refusing to repent? Are you hanging on the cross next to him saying, you need to solve this today in my life? Or are you saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom because I'm a sinner and I know you paid the price for my sin. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.